Welcome to the bandwidth. Here at the Band Arbitrage Network, we combine data and experience to help you understand the world of collectible finance. Father Ken here. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us for the next hour or so. We're going to be talking about card movements in the market, as well as looking at how Commander really drives the format. And later on, we'll be talking about developing your own strategy for this world of collectible finance that we have. I want to welcome Wit and Wolf joining us today. As always, how are you gentlemen doing? Doing good. I'm as brisk as a breakfast salad. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> On earth? <laughs> <laughs> Wolf. Inside jokes. They're funny. Wolf, how's your coffee? Uh, it's it's good, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's the Jack Sparrow. Why is the rum always gone? Why is the coffee always gone? But uh, no, getting off to a good start. It, it rained last night, so that means I do not have to water my yard. So be thrilled about that. Well, my texts are continuing to fire off, and we've got people upset about salad in my church. So we'll we'll <laughs> see what happens in the coming coming week. My goodness, this is unbelievable. Give us this day our daily salad. <laughs> I like how Whit and I are both just prepping the salad puns. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice dressing. <laughs> oh gosh. This is this is gonna be great. Oh my goodness. So Wit, we are talking about a number of different things. I heard a rumor though that Wolf went and played Commander in a store this week. Oh what? Yeah. Objection, hearsay. Stained. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is, oh, right. Wait, you make the objection and you play as the judge. All right. <laughs> I'm just that good. <laughs> what was your commander? Uh, well, I made the mistake of having Captain Sisse as the commander for one game, and I learned very quickly that Karamitra is absolutely and unequivocally better, despite all of the words on the card, because people are people. And then I proceeded to win five games in a row. So, you know. Man, that sounds 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 like fun and interesting things are there going on in your world. Real quickly, Father Ken, who is your commander of choice? Oh my goodness, uh, are we are we playing to win or are we playing for the memes? Um, I'm just gonna say generally your absolute favorite, like a deck that makes you smile when you pull it out. I'm gonna get something Minotaur based. Well, that would be Neheb, the, the black red one. Uh, but if I'm if I'm gonna win, I'm gonna play Cass. So I don't care. Oh, I, I just want to smack people with spells. <laughs> that being said, ask me how many times I've played with both of those decks in the past ten years. Father Ken, how many times have you played with both of those decks in the past ten years? Twice. Oh, sound like highly enjoyable times though for referencing it. You got that going for you, which is nice. Well, I figure if if I can't play, uh, if I can't play cube, I might as well win at commander. Solid strategy. Lay the beat down. So, wit, we've uh, we've bantered for quite a bit, uh, but I'd like to venture into your vintage vault. Ooh. You know, you've 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 had a quite a number of cards that you're looking at as far as long-term call-outs for, for Commander, but then also just a bunch of cards in general and, a, and something to think about for us, similar to what Wolf was talking about, that selecting the correct Commander is right. Yes. So for this round, I mean, I've got... Namely, um, there's a couple that I'm pointing out, but it's very much like an entire genre. Because um, as I'm thinking about this morning, I was my original thought was I'm like thinking Angus McKenzie is probably the spec of choice. But the more I started thinking about Angus McKenzie and why I pick him as a specul as a speculative target target, th the more I started thinking about just everybody in his field. Just so I I, I want to bring up like a whole bunch of different spec targets but it's all for the same reason for the most part mm -hmm. so the cards i'm looking at right now it's they have two they have a couple things in common they are all reserve list 
for one and two yeah. they are all uh commanders so the ones i'm looking at is angus mckenzie as i said has us on tamar a dune oak and shield which are all three from legends uh from stronghold we've got sliver queen from exodus we have urtai wizard adept uh from urza's legacy we have multani Morrow sorcerer and honestly the list can go on here so and i'll kind of re i'll repeat that one more time in case you, you know if anybody's trying to like write these down in their car while they're driving which is a terrible idea uh angus mckenzie has his own tamar a dune orkin shield sliver queen urtai wizard adept multani Morrow sorcerer so here's the reasons um that i'm suggesting these is because so the reason is because so first off like i said uh commander is the key drive this is combined with the unreprintability due to the reserve list and the fact that they're literally commander you know pot they're, they're they can be your commander um and with commander you'll they only need one copy to make the deck work which means that people are more willing to pay a little bit a bit more money for some of these commanders so for example angus mckenzie he's been floating around the four to five hundred dollar range that's incredibly expensive uh, if a card in modern or pioneer was at that price, you would have a lot of people be very incredibly upset. You know, let's say for example, it was Ragavan. Let's say Ragavan was four or five hundred dollars. People would try to steer clear of the format. That would be the end of it, or at least steer clear of, you know, either steer clear of Ragavan himself because they can't afford it, or they would go on Twitter and just start raving about how he needs a reprint. But with Commander, you only need one copy, so people are more justified to pay for that one copy. In regards to what Commanders to grab from the reserve list, uh, I make the argument that the more unique and useful the Commander is, the better. So, for example, Sliver Queen. Sliver Queen is a Commander who at, that either fits as the Commander itself or as part of the 99 for anything that is playing five-color Slivers. So, of course, you know... On the opposite end, you have a whole bunch of Legends commanders that are just, they have no abilities. They're from Legends. I would avoid those. So, but yeah. And if you look over the list, not all of these commanders are crazy strong. Some already have been overpowered by more modern cards. However, though, for one, some of these do have unique abilities. For example, Angus McKenzie a lot, gives you a fog ability, which people like to gravitate towards either uh group well not group hug they either gravitate towards things like um pillow fort with planeswalkers or even stacks um you know you also have uh multani which is just a great mono green commander or tie control and so on and so forth but yeah the i think the big point that i would want to kind of drive home though is just because of with all of these conditions that they're command they're commanders that can be usable maybe not in competitive, but in regular. And they are also on the reserve list. And obviously they're, you know, they're getting older and older, which means supply is going down. The less supply there is, the more unique the commander becomes at the player, at the person's LGS. So I would argue if you're looking for a place to park a decent amount of money, I mean, and these are all from different price points. I mean, Angus McKenzie, I believe is the most expensive along with Sliver Queen being a close second. But, you know, Hazza's and Tamar, that's like 200 bucks. A Dune Ogan Shield, 100, 150, something like that. Uh, but also, Urtai and Moltani, those two are around the 8 to $10 range. So these are, so you have, so no matter what part of, um, no matter where you are financially in regards to investing into MTG Finance, you have a bit of a couple plays. And I haven't even listed all of them. There are others out there. These are the ones that I've listed just to give you six selected choices that I recommend. So what are your guys' thoughts? And I like them. Uh, actually, you literally got me pulling up Angus McKenzie because I did not realize how expensive that card is. But no, I've, def I've been taking your advice lately. I've been putting a lot more um, into, I guess, what you'd call the blue chips or the, the higher end. I like, the, I like the spread, honestly, too, of the... Uh, prices you've got here you can kind of get in at any angle so um i mean urtai is one that i mean it con that's one too that's like a lower level one that is constantly seeing kind of like a boom and bust cycle but uh, i think the overarching thing which you mentioned which is when supply leaves 
nice thing about reserve list is that really it's consolidation uh, of supply into steady hands over time. Let those steady hands be EDH decks that people forget about, or even the vendors who basically know are, are relying on the promise. Still risky, but that uh, they're not going to be reprinted, uh, so they'll buy them up and they'll just hold them. So the unified front from a from a vendor perspective for holding really really does shield these things. And uh, even I mean, even if they did reprint it, these would still hold. Uh, I guess that cachet of of once being on the reserve list. And I, I just I really have been uh, yeah, I've, re I've really been buying into this logic lately and just kind of building up a, a, a basement for uh, MTG. I don't know. Ken, what do you think? Well, I, I generally hold on to cards that I'm going to play with. Uh, those cards that, that are going to see play down the road or maybe are playable in a specific format that I really enjoy. So I, I tend to stockpile those a little bit more and wait for the spikes to happen. And then I will sell my extra copies and just hold my play sets. Uh, that being said, you have to be a player uh, to think about these cards. You have to be a player to to think about them long term. If you're thinking about just buying them up and, and holding on to them to stick in a case somewhere, somebody's going to buy them at the same price that you bought them for. So think about it as a player uh, financier. You're gonna you're gonna buy this as a long term spec. You're gonna play the deck for three months, disassemble it, sell the pieces, and and take your money out when you can, or maybe you hold it even a little bit longer, like a year or more. Then you're just adding pieces to it until you get to the point where you're just like, okay, this card has matured in price and now I can move, move out of it. Yeah. Well, another thing, speaking of that, like that is an advantage also for these cards as well, specifically the ones that are used for playability. Um, so in certain, with certain cards, the can, you know, if you have near mint versus lightly played, that's a drastic difference, especially mm -hmm. if you go down to moderately play damage. I mean, you even you especially see that in like commons and uncommons from cards like the Dark, as well as uh, Arabian Nights and so on. So, because if you have a near mint card that could be like listed at like forty or fifty bucks, and if it's moderately played or heavily played, it's like two dollars. With these, um, I would also I would also encourage for one, if you get like if say if you buy ten Angus McKenzie, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy ten. Um, if you know, I would grab your crappiest of the 10 and you can go play with it. And yeah. even if that's not like your cup of tea, getting to know the commander is also just kind of fun too. Cause I'll be honest when I used to Angus McKenzie, I remember when I first played him, I bought him at $75 uh, up mm. in a, at a store up in Cedar Rapids, built the deck. And this was like about 10 years ago. So this was like, not, you know, supply was higher then, <clears throat> but even then, like whenever I would put down Angus McKenzie, it was always just there was a sense of satisfaction of other players at the table look you know grabbing my copy of angus and looking at it and being like what is this i've never seen this before which is in a way kind of almost promoting my spec as it is but which at the time i wasn't trying to spec i was just trying to play but in this situation you have kind of something similar so yeah. but yeah <laughs> i think you things out, it's fun I think you you also bring up like a really uh, uh, important point, or at least one of note that uh, I know TOA was the first one to to draw my attention to, and uh, I should do an analysis on it. But I mean, you guys know I'm very lazy. But that is that um, the the desire for near mint on these higher end reserve list cards um, listings. You see more and more photographs taken, and you see more and more that there is a premium paid for seeing uh basically the copy before you buy it like right now i have no idea if it'll still be there by the time this comes out but there's a picture of like angus mckenzie as lp and i pulled that picture up and i was like that is not lp but good try mate like um and it does it does impact your, your buying decisions and then you know if i look at one i go oh that's clean i'll pay the premium for it so it's uh, fascinating that as you get kind of higher end for these reserve list cards, because you do, you want it to be something that's nice to look at and kind of to what you were saying there, what I think it does kind of play an impact where if you want and you know that people are going to pick it up and go, ooh, what's this like? Or, ooh, oh my God, you have this. Like, wow. The last thing you want is for someone to pick it up and be like, oh, it's got all these nicks on it. Like, it's a little thing, but it's definitely palpable in the consumership. And you, I think you especially see that with the lands like Tropical Island, um volcanic 
um, Savannah, etc. Yeah. Any uh, further thoughts, Fathkin? Well, I just really like the idea of of getting cards that are being driven by a market that we know is going to be continuing to to increase. You know, EDH is is one of those markets that really drives the format, no matter what you do, and even when cards are are decreasing in price after standard rotation or on the creation of a of a new format you know when cards are all wonky we know that EDH is going to continue to have that subtle demand and people are going to want unique cards to be able to play their corner case strategies with and i like it i like being able to know that that there's a stable blue chip market available for us to continue to look at long term and even more so than than sealed product, I think. Uh, you know, I like sealed product for for its resellability down the road, but you're looking at two to three years for sealed product versus Commander, where you could be out in a year if you needed to be. One of the things that we like to do every single week is talk about the singles that are moving in the market. Wolf, I want to thank you for taking time to to add to our discussion today. These hot singles in the market. My goodness, wit. Yeah, I'm going to... There's a couple of themes that we're going to hit on. And one today, actually, which I didn't even put in there, but it's going to be fun to talk about because uh, I think they make a, a very good point. But we're going to start off with... Uh, <laughs> uh, if you guys could see the show notes, what's hilarious. Um, we're going to start off with Gold Span Dragon, which has a RAR in parentheses next to it. Uh, <laughs> this is this is uh probably this would be like my ideal spec um and anybody who tries to sell on tcg player is going to be like oh what do you mean the value's gone down yes it has because the buy list has gone massively up uh, this is just one of those cards where um and we're going to go into a, a larger theme here in a moment, but this is actually decreasing on the market in terms of what its actual evaluation is and what it's selling for. But that doesn't matter at all. Like, this does not make me panic. I do not care at all. I feel very bullish on this card because it is in the top 10 best-selling cards for the past month. Um, there is a strong treasure theme. Uh, and to that end, we've seen Revel and Riches pop this last month. We've seen, uh, let's see, where where did I put it? Uh, Pitiless Plunderer. Pitiless Plunderer is just kind of one of those good old faithful. Anytime you see Revel and Riches or Pitiless Plunderer moving up, you can be pretty much damn sure that uh, both of them are moving. Uh, and they go hand in hand. But then Gold Spend Dragon as well, the treasure theme. Um, so Pitiless Plunderer has gone up a buck, which is not... I mean, you got to remember it's an uncommon, so it is kind of difficult to move that price point, but that's not very uh, enticing. Revel and Riches, I think, went from 9 to 19, so that was, I think, um, pretty much on the precipice. It was ready to just tip over. But Goldspan Dragon, out of Cal Times, a little bit more recent, and I believe it got uh, some form of a reprint, which, which added supply to the market. But uh, people are stocking up on this card, and while there is a good deal of, of anomalous activity on a card... The, the rate to which isn't uh, like I've learned the hard way. You you want a little speculation on your on the cards that you might have as an investment. And uh, right now it's selling sixteen thousand dollars worth of of yeah. uh, cards a month. So that's a pretty solid card unto itself when it's at a price point of twenty bucks. I mean I'll let you you do the math. In fact I'll I'll give you a spoiler. That's a thousand and seventy copies sold at that price point. So. That's a that's a good card to be in on right now, and just keep your eye aware to it. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's a great card. Um, I think uh, didn't it get reprinted? So it got reprinted, I believe, in one of the uh, challenger decks. But I think it was as a one of, which obviously stalls it down for a little bit. But yeah, at the same time though, it is a fantastic card. Commander players love it. It's being seen play in other formats that are more competitive. So, um. And I think it might be. I would. I would probably argue that I don't. I, it might be a little too new of a card for it to be threatened by a reprint in something like uh, Double Double Masters. So I would say, yeah, I would say it's a. It's a good pick. I got. I got nothing else really to add to that. What are your thoughts, Father? Well, there's 330 copies at nineteen dollars right now on TCG Player. Mm. That's the wall. That's the wall. 
that's the limiting factor right there. But if it's selling a thousand copies in a single month, it seems like this is a, a pretty easy move. Um, we want to be able to watch that price movement over the next couple of weeks. What ends up happening is, is the gaming company ends up matching whatever TCG low is, even at direct. And what you, the gaming company is, is one of those companies that just wants to get out of their copies as quickly as possible. So be aware and watch that. I know that some people have attempted to manipulate the market for the gaming company to drop prices lower. That's just not a game I'm in. And it's not something that I think people should do because it could jeopardize your ability to sell on that format and sell on, on TCG direct. But it's, it's one of those things that you should be willing to watch. You know, even the lightly played copies at $18 are something that, that, you know, you could just jump into. Uh, if you don't want to give your money to the gaming company, but to be honest, you know, the price crashed, it went from 30 something to, to 19 over the past week and a half. Well, over the past month, it's a card that's going to see play again. And it's going to be a card that, that we want to see in the format. Yeah. One thing I would also add is, uh, cause you mentioned pitiless plunderer as well as rebel and riches. Um, I, I would say like I'm kind of moderate in regards to Revel, Revel of Riches in regards to what I'm about to say, but Pitiless Plunderer especially, I would be careful if you if anybody is thinking about buying those because I can see Pitiless Plunderer getting reprinted any time this year um, because it's an uncommon that's just been getting higher and higher over time. It also would fit incredibly well with the upcoming um, D&D set as well as it could also fit into mm -hmm. the... Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the upcoming Commander Legends set, the Double Double Masters, the Jumpstart set, Pitiless Plunderer could fit literally anywhere. Revel and Riches, not quite as much, but there is still that possibility. They're great cards now, and if you can get them cheap now and get a quick flip, go for it. But yeah, I would still be a little bit... I'd be careful with those two. But Goldspan Dragon, though, yeah, uh, it's a great card. I would recommend. You, you definitely are playing kind of... You're playing it by year with the uh, uh, the Capenna uh, spoiler season right it, it, it is very much like a demand hype cycle right i'm sure you guys have never heard of this next card esper sentinel has anybody talked about that one in the last wait like, six wait months? what's that is is that an edh card i i hey i don't know i just i i read spreadsheets guys i don't even know what the card does ah, okay but wait is that card from like mirage or something i don't think i've ever heard of it yeah pretty much um yeah out of modern <laughs> horizons too what's the word esper even in mirage <laughs> oh gosh no i don't think you're not even <laughs> i was like all right what's the first old set that comes to mind mirage let's go with it <laughs> all right <laughs> i think this card is great i i love it in a lot of different formats there's a there's a specific reason too that i want to holler it out it's not just because it's like the world's most obvious spec and and has been i mean this is the new smothering type for me like for the record, I love white cards. They they are by far white EDH cards are by far when I look at what I've made money off of my most profitable thing ever. Just because there's so few staples for that color, it's so hard to get wrong, in my opinion and just in my experience. But um, Esper Sentinel here, I want to call it out because months ago I mentioned that this was a thirty dollar card, and uh, a number of people looked at TCG Play and like, no, it's selling for twenty. And what they were unable to see, because TCG does not reveal this in the latest sold, was that people were paying five plus dollars for shipping on those copies, which basically told me that people were willing to pay like $28, $29 for this. And even though all of the pricing metrics were, were showing that, you know, this card is still selling at $20, $21, $22, $23, paying five plus dollars for shipping on these cards, and they were buying them in single orders which is the classic indication that people are willing to spend more, but because of the inadequacies, basically, of the, the tech sphere in our industry, if you're not watching the fact that consumers are literally, I mean, the price point moved on this card two months ago, and now the all of the metrics have basically caught up with, with that, and now it's actually selling at like $28, $29 without you know shipping costs, Two months ago, you could you could see that, and on a twenty dollar card, a five dollar increase is quite the percentage. And 
especially the lower you go, that $5 on shipping can get more and more impactful. So something to just be aware of. If you go to a card and you're looking at it and it's listings and you see that like all of the lowest listings all have really high shipping costs, that is quite indicative that the card is moving in price point. Uh, so just something to, so hopefully something new to add to the Esper Sentinel conversation, even though I know that's that's probably quite the high bar to do. What do you guys think of that? Again, it's a card that it's really hard to say, oh my gosh, this is a terrible spec because at the end of the day, it's a fantastic card. Um, I guess I would just go ahead and bring back up the conversation of, you know, reprintability. I think this is a card that could get reprinted sometime this year. There's a lot, there's a handful of openings for that to happen, uh, but it is somewhat new. So maybe not. I would say that let's just say worst case, it does get reprinted. I would say it would dip back down. I mean, basically if this gets reprinted, I, I could see this going down to like 18 to $20 and then you would just buy the dip and it would go right back to where it is now and probably continue to climb. I agree with you that this is similar to Smothering Tithe. Smothering Tithe, I think, is still a stronger spec just because it is a car that is just literally like it it turns it could turn an entire situation around for a, a deck that plays white. But this card is still just outright fantastic. And unlike Smothering Tithe, this card is seen in pretty much every format that it's allowed to be in. So unless something drastic happens, this card is going to be and probably for a very long time going to be an all star. So what's your what's your thoughts about the kid? Really think that Esper Sentinel is going to track the same pattern that that Smothering Tide did. I I think that we're going to see it at this $25 mark until there are no more copies being opened. And then it's it's just going to go up. This could be 6 months, it could be 9 months. Uh we don't know exactly what that format looks like. But with uh with two with Double Masters coming out again. We're going to see people move off of opening up Modern Horizons 2 and into moving and opening up, you know, tons of packs of Double Masters. So, really, Esper Sentinel could see a, a huge spike in the next six months just because of Double Masters. But it's because people are going to be spending more money on it. You know, they, nobody's opening it, so people are going to want to buy their copies when they when they perceive that's that dip to happen, when people are selling out of their extra copies to get into Double Masters. And and just a a quick uh, rant, you know how I do um, on on reprint. When I whenever I hear somebody go, uh, basically, you know, if it gets reprinted, the value go will go down. Uh, to translate that for uh, a player who's not into finance, that's like saying it dies to Deathblade. Like, yeah. It's called Doomblade. Doomblade. Doomblade, yeah, there you go. See, I know magic. <laughs> Definitely leaving that in in post. Play the game more. Play the game more. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's it's like, absolutely, that could happen. But you also got to keep in mind, the um, they plan these sets basically two years in advance. So it would require mm -hmm. that they are aware that this card will be very good. Then they also have to be very aware that it will be so good that even after, like, I don't know, less than a year or just over a year after it's printed, it will be such a high value that it will be able to drive another set. Uh, and to, to have all of that planned and aware of that and then incorporate that into, it's much more likely that this would get thrown into a secret layer or a much more transitory product, uh, which again would be very limited, although it would still impact the price. So there is a bit of a two-year shield on cards like this that, right, like if they are very well aware and you know this is a marquee card that, that was driving the value of the set, which I don't believe Esper Sentinel necessarily was. I think that would be Ragavan or Zasaga. I mean, this is definitely up there, but I think it's kind of insulated from that. But uh, yeah, there's there's my rant, even though I clearly don't know how to play the game of Magic. So, uh, this next one I'm probably going to need a little help on because... This was not one that I, I planned on talking, but uh, it is in the top 50 best-selling cards this week. And that is Adeline Resplendent Cathar. This, for those who don't know, because I didn't know, this is a one colorless and then two white, so mono white. It's a legendary creature, Human Knight, with Vigilance. Adeline Resplendent Cathar's power is equal to the number of creatures you control. Whenever you attack for each opponent, create a 1-1 one, one white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or planeswalker they control. Its power is star and its toughness is four. So, this is, I mean, I didn't even know this card existed, but it is, it's selling quite well right now 
Um, I would just be very hesitant to kind of go in on this card because I, I have personal rules that, that I've learned basically from going in. Basically, mono red, red exclusive. I always think of Goblin Chain Whirler in standard. Those cards will never retain their value. They'll drop to, to cents on the dollar, even though there's crazy people speculating on that card right now for God knows why. Uh, but when I look at Adeline and I, I see that this is, yeah, this is a rare, it's out of basically a very recent standard set. It's seeing a lot of demand right now just in terms of standard. Um, this is just one of those cards where as soon as rotation comes, it's the legs are just going to be cut out from underneath it. So if this is a card that you're interested in, keep in mind you are, you gotta, you gotta be wearing your Jordans. You gotta be... Uh, yes, yes, as uh, I see Anonymous Hedgehog is putting in the show notes, but I know that's you, Wit, uh, dies to Deathblade. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about Adelaide? Well, first off, uh, <clears throat> it dies to Deathblade, so. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I very much agree with what you're saying, um, especially with the fact that it is in standard. Once it's rotated out of standard, it will go down a bit. I don't think it's going to go down as crazy, though, because we just mm. haven't seen much play in standard at least paper wise so i don't know like i think i think this would be a card where if you find cheap specs go for it by all means there's there's probably a lot of buy list plays out there um i'm not sure how i feel about the double feature but also at the same time with double feature maybe if you find some cheap foils but i would say at the end of the day this would be a card i personally would watch for if, uh just for cheap copies and then once rotation's about to hit just to see just see if there actually is any level of a dip because while standard might not be as prevalent in in the physical copies um at the same time i can see a lot of stores just trying to get out of them so it is a solid card i mean i'm not sure how much is how much of it's being played in commander and it is a card that with it being new and with how much we still see a little bit of a power creep for commander uh, this card could get outclassed eventually, but also at the same time, though, uh, one thing I would also point out is with the upcoming Alara set, we could see uh, Knights getting a push again, because I believe that with the last time we were, sorry, not Shards, but when we were in Dominaria last, we saw Knights get a, get some love. So we, if we start seeing Knights show up again, I would keep a very close eye on this card. So I... I'm, I, I just want to point out a couple of things. Number one, this dice, the death blade. It's, <laughs> it's such a horrible card to try to protect. Secondly, it's a niche card. It really is a niche card. And I may not be looking at it correctly, but whenever you attack for each opponent, create a one, one human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. All right, great. It's one of those cards that if you have replacement effects for your token creation, it, it may be good. But it's not going to be great. It's going to be a card that is just good. And it's all creature-based. It's all aggro white-based. And it's all just one of those cards that you're going to slam and move on and try to play in the next one. I really see it seeing more play in EDH down the road because it's really hard to play in standard because you can only have a one of out there. There's not a whole lot of buffs in standard right now. You know, yeah, there, we do have a few that give plus one, plus one to, to all your cards, uh, to all your creatures. But one of the things that is interesting is even though this is selling at quite the rate, just a few months ago, over the last three months, it went from a $2 card to now it's a $7 card. I wouldn't go near this with a 10-foot pole because the buy list price is like 2 bucks. Like, how, how do you get out of it? There's no buy list support. There's no extra support for this card in any format. But people are buying it in droves. And not just a few. They're... Like seriously, there's there's like forty sales just yesterday for a single copy and, and people are paying ten bucks for it. And then they're also paying, you know, three fifty for it. So people are listing it and it's coming in and out of the market very quickly. 
So if you have copies, sell them now into the hype, get on TCG player, list them. Don't try to hold on to it any, any much longer. All right. I'm going to summarize this next whole bit because I've been talking for way too long. Um, just talking about cards that have been moving this week. And um, Ken, I believe you pointed this out the, the last time we did a long-form podcast. So I wanted to pull attention to it, not just because you mentioned it, but because they're actually all selling really well. And that is these these pathway lands, the Blightstep pathway, Riverglade pathway. The Borderless is actually selling more than the regular. That's something you don't see every day. Uh, Botanical Sanctum's up there. That's a bit of a different one, sure, but it's still up there. Uh, Needle Verge Pathway, people are clearly buying these lands, and I have to assume that that's largely Pioneer steering the boat, uh, but I just want to call attention that, that these are selling very well. It's very clear in the sales data. Uh, the second one, too, is Caldra Compliot. This is the um, the equipment from Modern Horizons 2. I have no idea why it's selling very well. I have to assume it's modern, but don't make me look at my own spreadsheets because, again, you know I'm lazy. And uh, lastly, just really quick, I just want to draw attention to the fact that Resplendent Angel was $20 at the start of this month. It's now $40, and the direct premium is $60. So uh, go get that uh, Go get that money, guys. What do you guys think? So first off, the angel dies to Deathblade, so be careful. Second off, uh, the pathways, fantastic. Um, I think that was something that a lot of people talked about. You know, I mean, obviously spreadsheets, our tools, and even just people within our channels have been just talking about mana bases ever since we started seeing that, uh, you know, major tournament play was coming back into play. So whenever you have a big event like that happening, especially if you start hearing about uh, let's say, for example, let's say Watsi is like, hey, we're going to create a brand new format. The Always the first thing to check out is the mana base, and mm -hmm. this was no exception. So seeing the pathways going up, seeing you know cards like Botanical Sanctum becoming uh, a place where people want to park their money, it makes perfect sense. It was something that we saw a while back, and it's just great to see in fruition. And it still continues to be great, you know, great areas to pick things up. In regards, like, in regards to Caldric and Pliot, I have no idea. I generally don't know. It's I always thought it, I I mean no I I love the card. I think it's great. I'm just I just don't know what's exactly driving it right now compared to or before. Like Stone I love the card. Forge Mystic in Modern. You know, I'm gonna drink more coffee here. I totally forgot. Okay. <laughs> I forgot the Stoneforge. Yeah, that's right. Because you know, instead of Batter Skull, let's just go with the Keldra. Yeah, because your creature is now indestructible. Well, the it's an indestructible equipment. And it gives plus five, plus five. Pretty cool. All right. It's kind of a big deal. It's usually played as a two of uh, in the deck, one in the main, one in the side, and then you just go from there. So, that being said... There's a lot of really interesting things that are happening in the movements of cards from this past week. But what we want to do here at the Band Arbitrage Network is tell you why we do things this way. We want to give you as many methods and understandings to help you figure out how to make money playing this game. Our desire is to give you many different options and many different ideas and to help you learn this process of MTG finance. Because if you just follow the big names and buy what they're buying, your outs are going to be the same as them and you're racing to the bottom. Our method is do the research yourself. Get the data in front of you. Figure out what you want to be involved in. Be able to build that network of really good methodologies and be able to just move cards quickly. But that speaks more to your strategy more than anything. We've, we've talked about over the past couple of months our different strategies. If we look at if wit, your strategy really deals with buying collections, as many collections as you possibly can, is that working for you? It does sometimes. Lately, it's been a bit slower, but because of that, I've been shifting to to other avenues. Um, I work with a with a. I mean, actually, yeah. I mean, I would say like it still works. It, it just works in a different way. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also been parking money more into the reserve list. That's why I've been talking a lot about it. Um, but yeah, uh, I would just say, you know, every every everybody's going to have a different strategy, and it is going to be based upon what you have access to, you know, in regards to buying in, and as well as what you're available of coming, you know, able to get out. Because some people they're going to sell on eBay, some people they're going to sell on TCG Player, some people they will sell on things like TikTok and uh, Instagram. We have someone in here who he does a remarkable job in selling on Instagram, and he could sell the most random stuff at at a premium price because he has a loyal fan base. One of the other strategies that we have is to just buy via the data. And that's Wolf's niche. Wolf, tell us a little bit about your your methodology. Uh, Yeah, I like to overcomplicate everything as much as humanly possible. but uh, my my main methodology is that um, the price that you see on a marketplace is a fictitious number that uh, is completely made up. It's uh, whose line is it anyway? Welcome to the place where the points don't matter and everything's made up. Market price is completely fictitious. It's a complete lie. You should not be banking on that unless your strategy is to basically you're using market price as your metric to buy and you're buying at like half price. That requires that you then have to do the effort of listing it, waiting for a buyer to come and get it, and it also requires that you buy at such a low margin that you're guaranteed profit, and you have to buy so low that even if you hold on to it for a long period of time, you can make profit. I hate that. I think that, and that is, I mean, it's the industry standard, and it has been for a long time, and it will continue to be. I I just don't like that. I, I like results now, so what I like to do is I just wait for a card whose buy list, which I believe is the true and absolute value of your cards and always will be, it's not the market price, wait for that buy list price to be equivalent to the the market price. And it's really not uncommon. It is so common to see a card listed for $15 on TCG Player, and there's a buy list offer of $15 from Card Kingdom. And if you're thinking, oh, that shouldn't exist because if you sell on TCG Player, you lose 20% of fees, why would anybody do that? You're absolutely correct. Uh, no idea, but they do. Uh, I do know why, but um, it is a very common thing. And the other thing that I like to do is I like to just watch the buy list price because I know the max that most sites will will pay for a card versus what they're selling at retail. Uh, but when you bring them all together, you can watch and you can basically see the momentum of each card. Is it moving up on buy list? Uh, and the thing about my strategy is it will never be uh, sexy. It will never be enticing because uh, all of the hype will have come and gone uh, and everyone will be like, oh yeah, we talked about that three weeks ago. I was like, yeah, but you can you, you can actually make money off of it now. And they'll be like, oh no, but there's a new thing to look at. So I always call it the magician's magician's assistant, basically. you can You can watch the magician doing all the tricks, but really, if you just kind of look to the person to the right, you'll see them basically doing all of the secret stuff that you're like, how does this happen? Just pay attention to it. Um, But yeah, I have opinions. But yeah, that is my strategy. (laughs) My strategy is kind of a a combination of the two. I want to be able to buy cards, but I have a limited source of money that can go through and buy cards. And so what I do is I, I find local players that want to open up their binders. I find individuals that are willing to sell me things. I find people that want cards. So I take Wit's approach and I buy from locals and I take Wolf's approach and determine which cards are going to be the best ones for me to buy. So we have some amazing tools on mtgband.com. We have the sleepers page. We also have a velocity uh, report that I have access to and perhaps someday uh, Wolf will share it with others. But I see the cards that are selling and I just jump on board with them. And then I out them really quick. So if I can buy from somebody at at 60% of TCG low, then I can resell at TCG low and make 10%, 15% on, on that card every single time. And I like that. Yes, it's slow. Yes, it's involved. Yes, you know, I end up sitting with cards in a box next to me, but it's what I'm capable of handling right now from day to day. And that's because each one of us has a different amount of time that we can invest in our strategies. Each one of us has a different life situation that we're a part of. My method is not going to work for everybody. 
you know, it's not, it doesn't work for wit. It doesn't work for wolf. So it's not going to work for, for you necessarily. If you take a look at wit, wit's got dedicated full-time opportunity to be able to buy and sell. And it's, he's got the time to be able to make that happen. Yeah. His family's growing hopefully in the next year, but you know, it's, it's going to be something that he makes money on long-term. And then you think about wolf. Wolf has less time than all three of the three of us. Wolf's going to be able to do things that are expedient and readily available to him. He's also has a, a strong background in data management and has the ability to find these cards. Each one of us has a strategy that we own and each one of us has a different perspective on how to make that work for us. Find your own. Yeah. Well, cause especially, and don't be afraid to change strategies, you know, in the middle of, you know, whenever you have to as well. I mean, by all means, for those who are out there and listening and are still trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this? Um, you know, try each strategy out, even if it's for a little while. Sometimes something will work well. Sometimes it won't. Um, you know, you might be like, cool, I just bought four Yabimaya Hollows. But then you're like, man, this is not moving very fast. Okay, change your strategy. I mean, you might want to keep them. I wouldn't suggest fire. Don't ever fire sale because the moment you do that, then you're losing value. But mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, everybody has a different strategy. Everybody has, has a different out. Um, just even on your local level, you're going to find, you know, there are some people in here, they talk about buying up collections that has, you know, from, that has like hundreds of thousands of cards and everybody else is like, Whoa, that's amazing. In the meantime, I'm looking at what I have locally here and it's always just little collections here and there, but you know, yeah, fit, find a strategy that fits for you. Don't be afraid to try things out even if it's not been mentioned before and also don't be afraid to fail because i I assure you some of the most successful people in our industry have failed multiple times have bought terrible collections have bought out a certain spec and just did not work i mean if you say the words goblin engineer in our channels it makes a lot of people shudder so it's all part it's all part of the growth it's all part of what it means to be mature in this industry but the more you learn, the more you earn. I mean, that's it's cheesy, but it works. Uh, I mean, I have a I have a personal story, and then I'll I'll rope it into an anecdote because I I absolutely love the rundown, uh, Ken, that you did there. Um, but when I got started in MTG Finance, I literally went to everybody that I knew, everybody that I saw who was either being successful or claiming to be successful, or who had a podcast. And it wasn't, and all I did was, what are you doing? How are you doing this? What are you looking for? Because for me, I'm very data oriented. I was like, if you are consistently successful, you're tapping into patterns, whether you properly know how to express it or not. It doesn't matter to me. I want to know how are you doing what you're doing? And first of all, it becomes very apparent people that are lying or exaggerating. It's almost always exaggerating. Uh, but then you also basically you eventually become an amalgamation of everybody you're listening to and that's how you create your own style and i think we all have just expressed we have our own style but i'm sure we all started out just trying to buy something and sell it at a profit but now how we go about that is very unique you know to the time that we have available but also to everybody that we uh everybody that we listen to or read or interact with they all have their own strategy and more and more you basically understand theirs the more that can affect your own and the next thing you realize is yours is entirely unique to everybody else so uh it's very true it goes back i think it's a very stoic quote actually you know it's it's impossible to learn what you believe you already know um so you have to constantly be aware of the fact that and be respectful and that's something that this industry I think has a hard time with a lot of times is that you can be a hobbyist and you can make money doing it a different way than the vendor does it. Now, when you start turning into an actual legitimate business, there are, there are very known and very consistent ways that you can scale. And if you're trying to go against that, that becomes, um, you know, a very unique and separate thing unto itself, but just being a hobbyist, just buying and selling cards, there's a thousand different ways to do it. And if you're making money off of it, and it's fitting in the time that you know that you have to permit to the hobby. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> go make some money and, and enjoy doing it. So we have two bits of information that we want to leave you with today. 
Number one, you can't make money unless you don't list the cards. Uh-huh. Wait, that's not right. You can't make money unless you list the cards. That's that's what it is. Yeah. Don't worry, with the power of editing, we can, you know, change it. As yeah, don't can. worry, that audio segment will get death bladed. Wow, that's like... <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. You can't make money unless you list the cards. Secondly... There's two hindrances to you making money right now. And that is sourcing cards and the time it takes to list cards. That's going to slow you down the most. Invest most of your time in getting your product in front of people so that people can buy them. I spent an hour last night listing cards. By the time I got done, the first few cards that I had listed had already sold. Seems great to me. That being said, it's your strategy. You got to work the plan. Anything else to add, gentlemen? I would just echo once again, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, because I would also add that the long, the, it, I have a friend of mine who has wanted to potentially sell cards, but he's just like, man, I don't know. I just don't think I, I have what it takes. I don't know if I want to do it. And I'm like, dude, you just, it's like jumping into a cold pool. You have to just jump in, cannibal it. And it's going to be a shock at first. It's going to be a sensory overload. But once you adjust, it becomes like second nature. So for those out there who are nervous, they're not sure they want to do it, give it a shot. Worst thing, worst thing to happen, you fail. But okay, congrats. We've all failed at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm just going to tack on basically smart enough to be able to listen to other people's ideas but be discriminating about what you accept for your own strategy yeah teachability is very important one of the things that we really like here at the ban arbitrage network is the ability to adapt and overcome so i want to thank you for taking time today gentlemen for joining us thank you for your information you are the resources and those of you listening to us should know we're readily available in the discord you can Send us a text and we'll get right back to you as soon as we can. So I want to thank you for taking time to join us today. I want to thank you for, for engaging in our chat. But you can also join us on mtgband.com or you can check out our Discord by signing up via the Patreon. Thanks so much and I hope you have a good rest of your day.